So thank you. My name's Eric Meyer from the Oxford Internet Institute. And I'd like to start out by saying a little bit about what the Oxford Internet Institute is and why I'm here for those of you who don't know that much about our institution. So you'll see that the subtitle of my talk under OII and Cultural Heritage is Leveraging Social Science Tools to Understand the Digital Humanities. And you might be surprised to know if you don't know much about the OII is that we are in the Social Science Division at the University of Oxford. We're a social science department, we do teaching, we have master's degrees and, and doctoral degrees. I'm the director of the doctoral program there as well as a research fellow. Um, but we have connections across all the divisions in the university. We've had projects with uh, people in every division at the university. We've had, I think, research funds from every research funding council in the UK and also a number of private and public uh, uh, funders from across the different sorts of interests. We're a very multidisciplinary department. The faculty at the OII are people such as myself from information science, but we have uh, political scientists, sociologists, economists, we have a historian, we have uh, a physicist, we have uh, a, whole, a whole range of people from across the spectrum who are interested in several key questions, but essentially it boils down to we're interested in understanding the impacts that the internet is having on society and the way people interact with each other and the way people work and the way people exchange information and create knowledge. So I'll talk today a little bit primarily about the one part of our work at the OII that I've been most involved with, which is our work on e-research. Uh, we've already heard from Dave DeRuyer at the Oxford E-Research Center. We work quite closely with them on a number of projects. Um, but we're interested in it at a slightly different angle than, than Dave talked about. At the Oxford E-Research Center, they're building lots of things. Um, we're a bit more ephemeral than that, a bit more meta, I guess, in some ways. Uh, we don't build that much stuff. You know, if people knock on our door because they think we're the people who provided their internet, we're the wrong place, we send them down the road. Um, <laughs> if they, uh, we, we, we don't, um, you know, create the same type, kind of technology they do. What we do is we, we study how people are using technology to reconfigure the ways that they generate knowledge and to work together and so forth. So we're interested in changes in research across the disciplines, in the sciences, the social sciences, the arts and humanities. The examples I've brought today are mostly from the humanities, arts, humanities cultural sector, but I could give you hundreds of slides from the other um, disciplines as well. If, if anybody was interested, you can look at my webpage and there's lots of them there. So I'm going to give a bit of a whistle-stop tour, as some of the other speakers have given today, of some of the kinds of projects that we're involved in to show you what kinds of things that a place like the OII that social scientists can do to help understand what's going on in the humanities and in cultural heritage, and also uh, to help um, change some of the ways that these collections can have things like impact. So these three examples are current projects going on. On the top, we see a project that's with the Bodleian Library, we've just heard from Wolfman, called uh, Sustaining the EBO TCP Corpus in Transition. EBO is the Early English Books Online uh, collection that's hosted at the Bodleian and elsewhere. And TCP is the, the, uh, the text creation partnership, which um, takes the images that are, that are scanned from these early English books and makes the text that people can use to do analysis and research and so forth. And our project with them is working out ways to make this uh, resource more widely used, to measure the kinds of uses that are there, and to help it become more deeply embedded in the community. The example on the top right is a project that we have with the British Library, also funded by JISC, and with the Internet Archive that is a different kind of cultural heritage. It's trying to understand the cultural heritage that's embodied in the web. Um, so the internet's been around for 20 years now. Um, that's a pretty good pile of things that people have created over the last couple of decades. 
But there's been a real problem in uh, knowing what one can do with these archives that have been made of the web. And the, 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 you may or may not be aware that the Internet Archive in San Francisco has been making copies of the web for a very long time. I mean, they've been making more and more detailed copies as time goes on and they get bigger facilities. But there's been a real gap in between the people who have been very carefully preserving all this stuff and making copies of the web and storing it in these things called work files and so forth, and the uses that one might put these to, to be able to get information back out of that and to do real research. And so this project is trying to demonstrate the value of using these old web archives to be able to understand things about change over time in the UK web domain that we've gotten a sample of data from the British Library. It's a, it's a big data project trying to look at these things as big data. So that's recent cultural heritage. Um, one of my colleagues, Catherine Eccles, whose picture is there, has an HRC-funded project, an early career fellowship, to um, understand this Your Paintings Tagger project. So some of you maybe have heard of the Your Paintings project. It's at the BBC website. Um, very interesting uh, project that digitized all the publicly held paintings in the UK and has put them on the BBC website. The Your Paintings Tagger, then, is asking people to help tag these images and to, be, to start to put uh, metadata and so forth with all of these paintings that have been digitized. And Catherine's project is to um, understand how the Your Paintings Tagger is being used, what sort, of, uh, what sort of data she can extract from the uses it's being put to. She's holding a lot of focus groups and workshops to understand why people contribute to projects like this as a way to understand crowdsourcing in the arts and humanities. Um, now, I don't have a lot of time here, so I'll just whip through a, a couple of concepts that might be of interest to the audience here today. We've done a number of projects looking at impact, and some of you might be a bit, <laughs> when you hear the word impact, right, because of this impact agenda and everybody's fears that we're all going to be forced to demonstrate our impact at every turn, of the, every time we turn a corner. Um, our move into this space of understanding impact for digital collections started in 2008, I believe, when we had a JISC project that was saying, looked at some of the first digitization projects that JISC funded in the early part of the 21st century. And they said, look, we put a lot of money into this. We've digitized lots of things, but we really don't know what anybody's using any of this stuff for. And so they funded us to do a, a study of some of these early digitization projects. And as part of that, we made a toolkit that I'll show you here in a moment. Um, and we were trying to ask a couple of questions about how do you measure usage, usage and impact um, a lot of questions about what to measure, because we were quite clear from the very beginning that you can't look at most digital humanities or cultural heritage resources in sheer numbers. Many of these things are never going to get millions of users. They're not going to be uh, visited on the scale of Amazon or eBay or anything else like that, Facebook. So you have to look at the kinds of impacts that they have measuring lots of other sorts of things. And we brought social science tools to bear on this, um, lots of quantitative and qualitative methods to work with uh, people who have digital collections to try and understand um, the kinds of uh, multiple impacts that they're having. So this toolkit that we created is still there. Uh, it's being updated uh, in the next couple of months again. We've had several rounds of funding from JISC, and they've, they've talked to us about um, some possibilities of other ways of sustaining this over the long term. So this toolkit is built for non-social scientists and non-web measurers to be able to come in and start to measure things in, in meaningful ways and to be able to put those into a context so that they're not just looking at their Google Analytics and saying, oh, look, a number that's bigger than last month's number, yay. Um, but to try and understand how to put these things into context. So this tool has been used. It's been, we, we've not only gotten a number of rounds of funding for it, but JISC have funded other people to use this toolkit to measure their own resources, and those reports are available on the toolkit itself uh, to give you inspiration on how you might use these sorts of ways of measuring your resources. 
and to then use those measurements to try and help you expand the, the kinds of uses that you, that you put it to. And I could give you lots of examples, but I don't have time today, of how collections have used this to be able to expand their impacts. Um, so I encourage you to look at that, and there's lots of information there, and the case studies might be of particular interest to you who um, wants to see how it's been used by others. Um, this report that I wrote is available online as well, and it synthesized some of the evidence on the impacts of digital resources for 12 different JISC-funded projects um, that, were, that were using uh, JISC funding to digitize, but then also used our toolkit to measure the kinds of impacts they were having and to expand those impacts. Um, there's a number of rep recommendations in those report. I've only put a couple on here, but you can see that one of the things that we're encouraging people who are doing digital collections to, to do is to think early on about this question of impact, not wait until they've released it on the web and then said, oh, maybe we should start measuring things. But from the beginning of when they're starting to build these new collections, to start to think about the kinds of impacts that they might want to have and to put measures in place from the very beginning to be able to start collecting data about this. You'd be surprised at how much data just disappears if you don't think about it. For instance, log files. Um, you can find out a lot from log files to your website, and how people visit it and how they move around. But the default for most web servers is not to keep log files for very long. They get overwritten every few weeks or every few months. And if you go back to uh, uh, your, your web providers after a year and say, I'd like my web log files from a year ago, they'll say, they don't exist anymore. They're gone. We can give you the last couple months, but we can't give you a years ago. So if you want to do things like keep track of uses via your log files, you need to start collecting those from the very beginning. Um, also lots of things about making sure that uh, the, the, the things that, if you want people to cite things in your collections, making sure that you don't give them a citation that's a URL this long because they're not gonna include it in their, in their bibliographies or their editors aren't going to let them include those in their bibliographies and having short ways of citing that. So there's lots of interesting things that we recommend. Um, another bit of research that we've done is on understanding information practices in the humanities. So this is a report we wrote um, in 2011 with some partners uh, at the Oxford Research Center and, and other universities um, to try and understand how people are actually using it, information in the humanities now that they've been getting more digital. And I'm, I haven't brought much from this report, but I brought one little set of numbers that most people in the humanities quite find interesting, which is uh, how do people go about finding information? And one of the questions we ask is, you know, is there a Googleopoly? You know, has Google just taken over everything? Is that Google the only way people find stuff? And so if you look at this number, this is from a survey of, of humanities scholars saying, how do you find new information when you've got a new topic that you want to find something about? And 79% do say Google is one of the first places they go. And Google Scholar for two-thirds of people in humanities is, is, a, is the first place they go. But if you dig deeper and ask um, about other ways that they find information, Many of the traditional ways are also still important. So visiting the library or browsing library materials online or citation chaining are still very important to, to lots of people in the humanities. Um, this is an interesting number at the bottom, that 95% consult peers and experts as a way of finding out about a new topic that they don't know much about. This, we, we did a similar project in the physical sciences. I don't have those data here. They're similar for Google, much less for Google Scholar in the physical sciences, but this number is quite consistent. They, they ask their peers and their friends what they, when they want to know about a new topic, what's important, what kind of new literature they should consult, and so forth. Physical scientists also use the library less, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> um, and let me skip over this since we're getting short on time. Let me just mention one other project. This report was just released yesterday, even though it says 2012, I'm getting them to fix that because it should say 2013 on there. Um, this was a project that we did that was funded by the HRC, NESTA, and the Arts Council. <laughs> to understand the ways theaters are, are, are changing the ways that they can interact with audiences using digital technologies. This was a project with the Battersea Arts Center 
down in London. Um, me and my, my research assistant, Isis Yort, spent a lot of time traveling back and forth to London to work with the theater. They built a, a interface called Scratcher. Um, and what this did was it, they, they've got this process at the Battersea Art Center, which I could describe in more detail for anybody interested, which is creating new theater via these things called scratches, which are short ideas, they're short um, pieces of theater that they're trying out in new audiences. And this website that they were building was a way to try and expose this process to audiences more widely by using a website and letting people see how new ideas are developed in theater. And this has been out there for a few months now, and we're going to keep following this up over the coming months as more people start to use this. So that's just a little bit of a whistle-stop tour over a few of the things we're doing. But we're, uh, I just want to reiterate that we've got you know, funding from across a whole range of sources, but also partnerships lots, across lots of different kinds of people to try and understand this basic question of how does technology enable people to do new things, ask new questions, do new research. And I want to just reiterate that I'm not saying how does technology change things. Technology by itself doesn't change things. You know, technology enables people to make changes. It enables people to build new connections and to build new sorts of relationships. Um, you know, a computer by itself, if it's not connected to anything, doesn't do anything at all. Uh, the, the way computers work is things come in and things come out, right? And so you've got to either connect it to other computers or to people or both in order to get anything interesting happening. And so I think that's something to keep in mind when we're talking about technology. And, and Donna's comment at the beginning that some people are scared of technology. All technology does is to enable these connections to happen more, more rapidly, more efficiently, more interestingly in some, in some cases. Um, and that if we can harness these in interesting ways, um, that's, I think, really the challenge that we face in this area. Thanks. <laughs>